for any size gift before Ash Wednesday, February 14th, we'll send you my 2024 Lenten devotional booklet. Make a secure online donation at thewordendures.org or make your check payable to The Word Endures and send it to Box 616, Collinsville, Illinois, 62234. And we'll send you my new devotional book for Lent, By Your Holy Cross. The Word of the Lord Endures Forever is brought to you in part by the Lutheran Heritage Foundation. LHF is a recognized service organization of the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod, dedicated to translating and publishing the books of our Lutheran faith into more than 100 languages for our Christian brothers and sisters around the world. Learn how you can take part in their work at lhfmissions.org. Welcome to The Word of the Lord Endures Forever with Pastor Will Wheaton. In Paul's day, of course, the biggies were Stoicism and Neoplatonism. You can actually find points of similarity in both of those to some of Paul's writings. But where neither would ever land you was on your knees before the cross of Christ. Where neither would ever bring you was to adore and worship and serve the child who had been born of Mary, who suffered and died and then was raised from the dead. The Word of the Lord Endures Forever is a daily verse-by-verse Bible study with the church past and present. Pastor Whedon is leading us in a study of the book of Colossians. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen. Greetings, people loved by God. In our previous study, we just begun a dive into the second chapter of Colossians. St. Paul began by expressing to the Colossian Christians how great a struggle he had for them and for those in Laodicea, folks whom he'd never met face to face. That is, how great a struggle of prayer on their behalf. We've already heard a bit of his prayer for them, but his whole life is carried along in prayer, so he continues right here. He prays for their hearts to be encouraged, for courage to be put into them, so that they would be knit together in the love of God, so that they could reach a full assurance of understanding and knowledge in God's great mystery. Remember how the church is like God's great crocheting project, binding up disparate threads into a beautiful whole? And what God wants, above all, is for the Colossians to fully grasp how great the love that God has bestowed on them in his Son, in whom he has hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. He warns them against any plausible way of thinking, the exercise of fallen human reason, that would lead them away from their Jesus. And finally, he reminded them of the great unity of the church that transcends all our human categories. He may be physically distant from them, but he's spiritually present with them when they gather in the name of Jesus, and he is overjoyed as he beholds their good order and their firm faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. A reading from Colossians, the second chapter, beginning at the sixth verse. Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him, and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit, according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world and not according to Christ. For in him, the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. 
and you have been filled in him, who is the head of all rule and authority. In him also you were circumcised with the circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. And you, who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. Colossians 2, verses 6 through 15. Let us pray. Lord God, bless your word wherever it is proclaimed. Make it a word of power and peace to convert those not yet your own and to confirm those who have come to the saving faith. May your word pass from the ear to the heart, from the heart to the lip, and from the lip to the life, that, as you have promised, your word may achieve the purpose for which you send it. Through Jesus Christ, your Son, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. Ready to ponder further on this second chapter of Colossians? Let's give it our devout attention. Verse 6. Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, verse 7, rooted and built up in him and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. Having praised their good order and their firm faith, Paul moves on to encourage them to keep walking as they have been walking. As you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him. Well, how did they receive him? How else? By hearing the gospel and believing it through the power of the Holy Spirit. So the key to walking in him, that is living from his life, is to go on doing what first brought them to faith. We are being saved as we continue to hear the gospel. That moves in two directions in our lives. First, it roots us deeply into him. This is all the more important because the gospel itself is contrary to sinful man's native thoughts. It's not like just a simple casual hearing suffices here. Rather, like that yeast in the measure of flour, the gospel needs to permeate and work its way through us. That's what St. Paul means by rooted in Jesus. Think of Psalm 1 and how the tree is planted by the streams of water, how it sends its roots to drink deeply of their nourishment so that it can continue to bear fruit. So our faith roots itself deeply in Jesus as we continue to hear his gospel and let that gospel live in us. But then it also moves in a different direction, built up in him. That is, As we sink our roots ever deeper into Jesus and his living water, we're changed and transformed ourselves. Our lives begin to be established in the holy faith. It becomes our bedrock. And most striking of all, we begin to overflow with thanksgiving. That's inevitable when you learn to live from God's giving and your eyes are being opened to it more and more. Well, thanksgiving begins popping up everywhere. 
Now, in contrast to this life of growing ever deeper and firmer in the faith of Christ, Paul warns them against a cheap substitute. Verse 8. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit, according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. Philosophy, literally the love of wisdom, and so the search for wisdom, has actually ended up leading many a soul astray. That's because they pursue it according to human reason, and that is simply no safe guide for anything worthwhile. Our minds really have been corrupted by the fall, and we actually are natively hostile to the very grace which alone can save us. In Paul's day, of course, the biggies were Stoicism and Neoplatonism. You can actually find points of similarity in both of those to some of Paul's writings. But where neither would ever land you was on your knees before the cross of Christ. Where neither would ever bring you was to adore and worship and serve the child who had been born of Mary, who suffered and died and then was raised from the dead. The road from human thinking even the most profound searching after wisdom, just can't get you there. You only get there through the divine tradition, through the revelation of the gospel. So why get sidetracked into the byways of human speculation, which ends up showing its bondage to the demonic elemental spirits of this age? You have something so much better, so much bigger. You have Jesus. Verse 9, for in him, the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. Right there, at the truth of the incarnation of the Son of God, all human philosophy explodes. It cannot deal with it. One of my favorite writings from Dr. Luther is the disputation on the word made flesh. Luther kicks that off with this fabulous statement. Although the saying, every truth is in agreement with every other truth, is to be upheld, nevertheless, what is true in one field of learning is not always true in other fields of learning. In theology, it is true that the word was made flesh. In philosophy, the statement is simply impossible and absurd. Now, Luther isn't dissing philosophy. He's recognizing its limits. It can be helpful and useful when dealing with things that reason on its own can sort of comprehend. But if you try to smuggle the central truth of the incarnation of the eternal word in the womb of Holy Mary into philosophy, philosophy immediately will render a hearty protest against such absurdity. The finite is incapable of the infinite, it will proclaim. The early Lutherans, of course, loved to reverse that saying. They said, ah, but the infinite is capable of the finite. We know that because in Jesus, the whole fullness of the deity dwells bodily, that is, as in its own body. Touch Jesus' body, you've touched the body of God. Kiss Jesus' body, you've kissed the body of God. Verse 10, and you have been filled in him who is the head of all rule and authority. And it's not like the fullness of deity dwells in the body of Jesus just for himself. It dwells in Jesus for you. In Jesus, you have been filled too by him who is the head of all authority there is in this world. When you are baptized into him and he moves into you, 
you become a veritable temple of God. Verse 11, in him also you were circumcised with the circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ. Circumcision, you will recall, was performed on little Jewish boys on the eighth day after their birth, enfolding them into the covenant God made with Abraham. The Old Testament insists that this is a perpetual covenant. It is never to end. And so Christians, too, have a share in circumcision, but not at all in a fleshly way, not by cutting off the foreskin of the penis. No, Christians are circumcised by God himself, when they put off the body of the flesh through the circumcision of Christ. In other words, Christ's fleshly circumcision brings to an end the need for that old sign of the covenant because Jesus is the promised seed of Abraham. But God has a way of putting his Christians into the circumcision that was perfected in Jesus and its holy baptism. Listen, verse 12 having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. In holy baptism, God buried you and your sin into the death of his son. And in holy baptism, God raised you up from that death. All that happens to you as you believe in the powerful working of what God has promised there. As a result of your baptism into Jesus, Paul goes on, verse 13, And you, who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. That's how, from Jesus' own death and resurrection, both Jew and Gentile get grafted into the covenant with Abraham. They receive the gift of holy baptism, and in it, those who were spiritually dead in their trespasses and in their caving into their flesh are suddenly made alive. And this making alive happens by God forgiving us absolutely all our trespasses. He takes the entire record of our debt which we can read in the law in detail, and God sets it aside, declaring it paid in full by the blood of Jesus Christ. So, as on the cross, Jesus takes all our sin, he owns all of our sins as his own, so in baptism, which is anchored in his cross, Jesus delivers to us his perfect righteousness, his flawless keeping of the law, and so we are forgiven, not partially, not piecemeal, but completely People up by God, your sins are done away. Verse 15, he disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. The rulers and authorities here are the satanic forces that would seek to accuse and condemn the Christian because of sin. Christ has knocked that weapon right out of their wicked hands, or more accurately, he has silenced their wicked mouths. They cannot accuse us justly, for he who had no sin became sin for us, that through baptism into him we might become the very righteousness of God. Now, the text can also read triumphing over them in it, referring to Christ's cross. I think that's actually a better read. 
let me close with a word from 4th century St. Cyril of Jerusalem. Let us not be ashamed to confess the crucified. Let the cross as our seal be boldly made with our fingers upon our brow, and on all occasions, over the bread we eat, over the cups we drink, in all our comings and in our goings, before sleep or lying down and rising up, when we're on the way and when we are still. It's a powerful safeguard. It's without price for the sake of the poor. It is without toil because of the sick. It is a grace from God, a badge of the faithful and a terror to devils. For he displayed them openly, leading them away in triumph by the force of it. For when they see the cross, they are reminded of the crucified. That's where we're going to stop for today. Next up, Paul will warn about the danger of religion that human beings cook up for themselves, rules and regulations. Referring to those from the Old Testament, he calls them a shadow of the good things that were to come, but he reminds us that we have the fullness in Christ. He knows that rules for religious fasts and self-denial and the worship of angels can all seem super spiritual, but he warns there are very little use in the things that truly matter, and Christians should not submit to their tyranny. Till next time, people loved by God, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Amen. Thanks for listening to The Word of the Lord Endures Forever with Pastor Will Whedon. The Word of the Lord Endures Forever is a listener-supported program. You can donate by check, make your check payable to The Word Endures, and send it to Box 616, Collinsville, Illinois, 62234. You can also make a secure online contribution at thewordendures.org. The Word of the Lord Endures Forever is a production of LPR, Lutheran Public Radio. Thank you.